run out of all the money that I'd gotten from it. And I had a startup that desperately needed funding, had orders from stores that I couldn't pay for. And the bank wouldn't give me a loan because I don't have good credit. Um, And there's another type of funding that you get as a fashion brand. Um, It's called a factor. They protect your orders and approve stores. And then they loan you the production money up front. But I had a huge disaster where I lost a $60,000 order from bad sewing. And my factor pulled out. So I was in this position with no money. And I realized... I was going to have to to let Selkie go. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Uh, I know. This was in 2018, right after I had launched the public. Like, you're telling us, like, what really happened? What's what happened with Selkie? Again, people just see who are discovering you now just probably assume like you're stupid, you're super established. You've, you know, already hit it. And it's like, no, like there's all these major, major challenges you face as a female entrepreneur building a brand after you've had a previous business taken away from you. Like this is a very unique experience. And so I'm like, again, we're like, wow, like whispering, like, oh my gosh, like, what would you do? I like, feel like I'm in your shoes. Well, what would you guys do in that situation? What do you think you'd do? Oh my gosh. Um, if I were in a position, I would probably, I think one thing I would do, and this is like what I've done with content creation is I would take an audit of everything. Okay. What's selling? What's not? Like, what is like, what's working right now? And like, is there ways that I can like cut? So I just have like a little bit of cash to keep going. And honestly, I would probably like do one last, like, um, not a Hail Mary, but maybe that's the appropriate term. (laughs) I would honestly probably go out to, um, friends and family again and like, just tap in and say like, look, like you've seen me do this. I'm here. I'm hitting another challenge. Like, this is what I would do with the money. Like I've identified like what designs working well. Um, I really believe in this and I would honestly probably ask for money again, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the narrowing down piece too, cause like for me, I have like a small, like kind of like Etsy shop, just helping like people with like crafting stuff. And when I first started that, I was like, Oh, this is just like a fun thing that I can kind of do on this. I didn't realize like how much went into it, even as content creators, when we first started, like, it's hard to know what to expect going into it and all the different challenges and everything that you'll run into. And just, I was having to craft these like mini clipboards that I was making and like, it would take me hours to create this stuff Mm -hmm. and I just didn't have the time. And so similar to like kind of what Emma was saying, pivoted to just selling molds so that people could create their own products because I just didn't, I didn't have the time or capacity to do that. And like those ended up being my top selling. So I think like pivoting is one thing that we also talk about on the podcast a lot too, and kind of pivoting, figure out what works. And clearly you've done that with Selkie too. Like, I mean, I know, like it, I know we're at kind of at the cliffhanger point here. (laughs) No, it's nice to know what you guys think you would do because the thing is that 
that all your listeners, if they're trying to start a business, I don't know how many of them are or wanting to or or dreaming without maybe even telling anybody. Maybe they're at, sitting at a friggin' desk job right now thinking, well, if only I could do this. Well, the only difference between you and me is that you you haven't done it yet. That's yeah. the only difference. You can do it. You don't need mm-hmm. to be me to do it. And you don't need to be anyone to do it. You just have to try and f- find the time. And the answer to the question, what do you do? And these points of serious, really just so such serious um, interruption are always going to come up for everyone. And you are going to have to make that decision without, without me or without anyone telling you wh- what to do because no one knows the future. I know the future from my story. I know now what's going to happen. But at that point in my life, I thought, this is it. I've lost it all. I'm a, I'm a total failure. And I thought, but I have fans and I have an established business. Surely someone's interested in this. Surely someone's interested in my past. But I was in, I was in this phase of my life where I was just such a victim. And I, you know, I felt really sorry for myself. But I also had had this really great, I have this pretty intense mother who is really into like um, never giving up and also like presentation and being really like, don't be a big baby. She's really, she's really intense. And she really just taught me um, just sort of how to uh, put away your feelings and keep going. And I'm really grateful that I have that from her, if, if anything, from that intensity I'm so grateful for that one thing is that advice to stop being such a baby even though it's kind of mean I it's the thing that saved me um so I I thought well I'll just I'll do what you you guys said I'll I'll um figure out what do I really need to make who what stores have ordered and I'll start looking for money again Mm -hmm. oh <laughs> all over again. Yeah. <laughs> the most hilarious experiences with investors. Um, one woman was 85 and she had was amazing. I loved her, the only woman that I had ever met with. And we met a few times, but you know, you guys, 85 is quite old, let me tell you. But yeah. um, she was awesome. She was on the, she was like um, president of the board of American Ballet Theater. She took me to a ballet wow. and was introducing me to a bunch of other people. And was like, she's going to be a star. And she was saying things like, you should do um, Project Runway. And I was like, oh God, this is never going to happen, <laughs> is it? <laughs> That's a wet, bad sign if someone says that to you. Um, and then I met with um, a couple men in New York. Oh God. One of them was, well, I thought he was going to give me the money, but. No, not in the end. Um, so it, it just kind of kept phasing out and burning out. And I, I thought, I'll just go on LinkedIn as the last hurrah. Um, LinkedIn had been a pretty useful tool to me when I left Wild Fox because there's just a lot of people on there that are really connected. And um, I found that you can actually reach people that you really want to reach. And I got some some tips from like a seminar thing that when you reach out to people that you're interested in talking to or want something from the, you should write them an email with like no agenda and, and try and 
read every article you can about them and mention those articles like in your email and why you admire them and then ask for a conversation. So you, so to flatter is really important in investor search. Flattery is every going to get you everything, but it didn't get me an investment. It got me advice just so you know. So I was one night, I mean, after probably a month of crying straight, my boyfriend was probably like, when we're going to have to put you on suicide watch because I was a mess. And I thought, okay, through all this crying, I'm just going to post some stuff on LinkedIn. And I wrote, um, Selkie going amazing, looking for funding. Please reach out if you're interested. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a joke. (laughs) Are you saying Selkie is going amazingly? I felt like such a fraud you know and my old partner had really taught me to feel like a fraud for so long that I was still getting over that sort of that sort of pain um I so I I had already so many so much trauma so much struggles and just trying to get through all of this and and start over and I just cannot get my handle on it you know really just wanted that funding so I could stop worrying so much well I just got really lucky that a girl that I from my past reached out and she had this group that was funding artists that wanted to do fashion lines and the caveat was that you would move your production to china um and i i was that at that point that i realized um that i didn't know i had worked with china before but i didn't know a lot about china and i started to research it and i found out a lot about it and a lot of my initial thoughts i realized it might be rooted in things I had heard in mm-hmm. the 80s about ch- Chinese production. Anyway, I went, so I, 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 I fell in love with this girl. She's brilliant. And the, her, the angel investors are amazing. And they have invested in some, really, some brands I really love who are also working in the same factory. And um, I didn't realize at the time, but this factory would change my whole life and my whole brand forever. Um, and I, at the time I was worried, but I should have been excited and celebrating because the, the, what it did for me was it allowed. So at the, just so you get an understanding at the time when I was running Selkie, I was doing the production myself in Los Angeles. So I would buy the fabric. I had one girl helping me calculate how much fabric we needed. We were always wrong. And then we had to dye it, have, then we take it to go get cut and sewn. And then we would have to have it packed and shipped out, went to go to wow. our warehouse. And the warehouse costs like $12,000 a month. I am not kidding. Um, and these things that were costing me a fortune, not to mention like, so when you do it that way, you're really, really limited. Like I couldn't make the things I wanted to make because I didn't have access to a lot of, of things I needed, like the right fabrics. Um the time to sketch and work with the pattern maker that this just on the things and a really experienced pattern maker who would understand what I'm trying to do. So I, st- and at the same time as that, I had been advised by every person working in my life at that time that I should stick to wild Fox vibe, like um, t-shirts and sweatshirts, oh. and active wear. Uh, and I really didn't want to do that. Let me tell you, I really love dresses. At Wild Fox, I wanted to do dresses. My partner was like, you're not a dress designer. You're a t-shirt designer. Just stick to what you know. So I didn't do it there. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do dresses. And I, I just didn't want to go against the advice. I was so scared of 
of being wrong. But once I got this investment or, they, you know, and the support, this team behind me and moved into this factory, I realized, oh, I can start taking some risk here. Yeah. I can, and that risk was really designing dr- dresses. And that was the first time that I, the, when I moved to China, I designed the puff dress. That was my first thing that I made because I've been wondering how I could do it here and I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so wow. um, that was the first thing that I, I did with them. And then they, my official l- launch, like with them as my partners, basically was um, 2000, 2018, 19, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, uh, my first collection with them, didn't come out until fall of 2019 so one year after I had launched the public wow and then we just got the biggest smile on our face when you said sulky dress or the puff dress yeah yeah yes the ticket in thank god um you know with the puff dress the thing the whole thing on that I haven't talked about this whole thing that's underwriting this story is the desire of what I wanted this brand to do and, and who, who it was for, what it was for. And that is, I wanted, I realized that um, there was no fantasy brands offering a diverse size range. I didn't see, at least, at yes. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were no stores buying that size range. I didn't know any boutiques buying that size range. I, was, I had immediately wanted to start selling upper sizing to stores, but uh, it was like a battle and a half. They were all like plus specific and they were kind of strange, like unknown stores or there was one store that just started on array 11. And I realized like, oh, this is bad. This is worse than I could ever have imagined. Mm-hmm. Where in the world is anyone shopping that is above a size standard 10? Because yeah. that's pretty much what they go to mm-hmm. at boutique. And I thought, well... <laughs> okay, I'm already in the door at Revolve and I've got some boutiques interested, but I was sort of starting from scratch besides Revolve at that point because I had, I had burned a lot of my bridges with my boutiques after you know really messing up the first round of production from year one. So, mm-hmm. And my, my sales rep had left, so I needed a new sales rep. Um, it was just all kind of it was kind of like I was doing it again. I was starting again. It was mm-hmm. like I had two launches for Selkie in 2018, 19. Like doesn't feels like it doesn't count until fall of 19. Um, is when I really figured out what I wanted to do and the customer that I was looking for. Um, I knew who they were. In the fall of 19, I started to understand who my girl was. Yes. And that that was really crucial because it made me pivot, like you're saying. It was like the moment of pivot realization. Well, so the story is that these women are just trying to become free. And I want them to be able to wear crazy stuff, really beautiful, outgoing clothes. A lot of us are taught and as women our whole lives to just either, you know, we're either in like a sexy little crop top with our skinny little body and little sweatpants, hot, or like hide in the shadows you fat beast you know like this I feel like there's those two options and and I feel like I've been told my like as I got older I felt like I was hearing this feeling this more and more that I was supposed to like be invisible or or something I I couldn't really put my finger on it I was sick of 
I love when women wear what they want. I love a really outgoing woman. I feel that clothes transform your, the way you feel about yourself. Um, and they transform the way other people see you. And I just, I wanted to inspire confidence in women. I really was sick of, for myself, feeling like I wasn't worthy of wearing color because I was not someone in a really thin body. Um, and that was really bothering me, like all this stuff. So, and part of that also meant, so if that was my goal, right, if the company was going to suddenly bring confidence to women, this meant that access to clothing had to change. And I wanted that to be a big part of the brand. And I knew the only way to change that would be not just for my, my own direct-to-consumer site, the e-commerce site, but to try and sell to my wholesale to boutiques and department stores, get them to buy the upper sizing, which I knew would be, uh, I would have to be incredibly strategic about that. And it's something that, again, on the consumer side, we, you don't even think like it's the designer, that pressure, you took on that pressure, right? Like you took on like, Hey, like I'm going to start changing this systemically. So I guess like, I'm really curious to like, learn, like, what was like the first step in doing that? Like, was there a specific retailer that you targeted and say, Hey, let's do this. Let's like, let's offer more diverse sizing. Like how did that look for you? Well, I knew that this would be something that because of the way it was changing and changing so quickly, the voices were getting louder. There were a lot more people demanding this. So I knew it was a matter of time for a lot of people, right? Like I'm basically hammering against the ice, but I'm hammering with a lot of, of, of customers. Yeah. Um, so it's a joint, it's a joint thing, but I'm there with the brand while, you know, they're hammering away um, just to get it, but I'm there with the brand and I'm ready. So I knew that Revolve was one that is probably facing and questioning yeah. when are they going to start offering from the beginning? I was like, Hey, why don't you guys just try an XL? Hey, why don't you guys just try one more size up, try it, try mm-hmm. it. But, you know, and they're like, okay, maybe, maybe. Um, so I realized like, okay, I have to have like a star. I have to have like really best sellers on this site in order for it to change. Because if I don't have best sellers, they're not going to trust me to buy more. They have to have something that has demand. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, it just meant creating popular clothes, which is really, <laughs> well, yeah, easy, easy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the biggest thing that people just don't realize. Yeah. Like, cause it's, it takes so much more. And I love that you kind of are, cause like representation is so important. And Emma and I have talked about this on the podcast before, but you know, like seeing like these like beautiful, colorful, like amazing dresses that make you feel like you're in another world, like a fantasy world, like is this thing that, yeah, people have been wanting for such a long time and you were able to capture that so well in a dress and then making that inclusive so that everyone can live that fantasy. Because I think so many brands, you know, what you see like these amazing, dreamy, very cool, like dresses that only look good on certain, like, well, not only look good, but are only shown on certain people and certain body types. And then you think, okay, well, would that actually look okay on me? And then they don't even carry your size. So it doesn't really even matter anymore. And seeing like the different boutiques 
like stalking those sizes and seeing revolve. Like, cause I'm on revolve all the time looking for selfies. Let me tell you, <laughs> but like they sell out of like the plus sizes, like well, the sizes that they are stocking, they sell out of these things and you're able to see it and like, see that there was a need in the industry and kind of bringing attention to that, I think is so cool. Yeah, I agree. And the, I, but you know, I realized like to, when people love the puff dress, I was like, this is the, this is the way because it's loud, it's noticeable. And that's what I want. That's what I need. So I really want to make like everyday wearable clothing besides this, like really loud, beautiful princess stuff. I still want like to make, well, I started out wanting to make everyday wear, but I couldn't, I couldn't get seen. I, and no one would notice. And I think that was what I realized, like, okay, I have this part of me that's really good at princess and I love princess. I love my whole vibe of do my doll passion, right? Yeah. That's what it is. Um, and I realized, okay, if I make my doll clothes, like maybe that is what will get me seen. And that's how I can build the brand to be popular. And that's how I can get people to buy more inclusive sizing. And it did work. It was working really slowly, but we are the first brand that Revolve is carrying above a size XL, which an XXL, which is incredible. I mean, that is a really big deal. Um, I can't wait till they add more brands and I look forward to that. Um, I take the approach that um, there are a lot of people, that, there are two approaches you can take, I think, to make a difference or look at inclusion. First of all, I've, I've done a lot of research about all of this and not just that I have worked with activists, um, especially black activists because I'm white, I'm an ignorant, ignorant girl. So one thing I knew I had to do was, was to understand from a black perspective, um, what they're looking at when it comes to inclusion with sizing, because it is, um, a really horrible thing, but it's a systemically racist beginning. That's, I mean, it, that is the truth of, of keeping plus sizes out but the, the thing about fighting for this fighting for inclusion is that there's two ways you can be um you can choose either way and i don't think either way is wrong for one way is to be very angry and fight against people who don't do better even if they're even if they're trying to do a little better if they're not going all the way to be angry and then there is another way which is to applaud every step that a, that a brand or a store makes and that's the way that I'm choosing because I have the privilege of being white so I'm not as angry I'm not as frustrated as I think uh, I should be and that's a privilege that I'm that way um, and I can be more patient it sucks that I other people have been patient too long I think but I hope this makes sense I hope what I'm yes, saying makes sense no it does mm -hmm. um but I guess using that perspective to be patient has definitely brought a lot so for me I'm really excited because it's not just revolve it's it's pretty much all of my boutiques now carrying at least up to a 3x which is it was something that boutiques were not doing before you know last year this is really new that's really really exciting I feel like I mean sometimes I wish I was just one of those brands with my head in the sand but that's my privilege that I can even think that way you know what I mean yeah yeah oh, wow 
you have come such a long way, Cam. <laughs> um, and um, I, I was going to say, I mean, like, obviously, like, I guess just like from a woman of color's perspective, I'm Filipino American and I'm first generation. And it's like, I just like really resonated with your story at the beginning about just like seeing a specific type of who's represented in media and who's not. And so like for you to take this like full circle and now you actually make intentional choices and you deal with the hate and you deal with the trolls and you take a step back when you need to. I just wanted to like, at least like say from my perspective that like, it's really admirable that like you continue to do the work that you do and you do it from, I mean, a political point of view, or, but you know, like, I guess like, again, like I'm already a fan of the brand, but now I'm even like more of a fan of you. So <laughs> this is very personal, but so nice. I'm just, I'm just saying, um, oh gosh. Okay. So I'll keep going. Sorry that I interrupted so you. know that the fear, honestly, like telling you guys that I have a big fear and you, you, when you start going through this, because I think that dichotomy, when you get involved in fashion and you do end up getting bigger and bigger, faster and faster, and you do have this political agenda. Um, when that happens, you do, you will, I think that there is no way that you would not face it. Like I, yeah. think, I always try and tell myself that, that it's not personal. That this is what it means to have a company that is trying to do better, not doing yeah. better, but trying to do better and maybe doing better in, in a sense, but, but always working on it. Yeah. And sense. I think, oh, absolutely. And I think like, I I'm, I'm hopeful too. Cause I think the biggest thing with that is like, there is no progress without vulnerability and honesty. And I think those conversations and like realizing like, I cannot learn anything unless I have those conversations. And if I say something wrong, it's okay to have like this good conversation. Cause that's how you learn, like being vulnerable and like understanding. And I think, I mean, you've done such a great job. And even in this conversation, it's been so great to hear from you too. And th the best that we can do is try and constantly learn and understand what we can be doing better and learning from different people. And yeah, like again, at people absolutely have the right to be angry, but sometimes for your growth, I can, it's, it's hard when social media, you are being like bombarded with people like reaching out to you and it's not necessarily productive or helping. And it's, I think at least like, I think it's always okay to take a step back, especially for your mental health. Like I, like we always talk about on the podcast, like self-care and everything, and you cannot give a hundred percent unless you're at 100%. So if that means taking a step back and kind of taking that time for self-care or unwinding, because I mean, especially not only with social media, but you also have this explosive growth of your brand that, I mean, I've seen like, even in the last like year, I've seen Selkie explode so much. So I can't even, even imagine on not only a personal level of people reaching out, but also a logistics level of actually growing your brand and dealing with those two things at the same time. Like that is a lot on your plate. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely it. And you know what? I would say that it's not even a self-care issue. I think it's actually like, well, it is a self-care issue in the end, but it's, it's about like accepting the fact that your brand is growing and that you need people to work on these aspects of it like I loved running my own insta and I did until very recently I loved being a part of all the conversation but it was also killing me when they say death by a thousand tiny cuts oh, yeah. and it did feel like that but uh, but I realized that more of it is because your brand is big 
look at the reality. The brand is getting big. You need someone to run this aspect. You know, you're designing, if you're designing and you're creating, like, what are you doing? If you're still mm-hmm. running your own Instagram, I think that it's more of like a logistics thing than anything else. Like, of course, you're going to get bombarded with yeah. uh, love, praise, complaints, requests, all of that. So it, logistically, it doesn't make sense for the owner to run that aspect. It really doesn't. For sure. And we talk about all the time. It's like, you have, you know your skills and your passions and like what made you unique as a brand, whether you're a creator, you're a new entrepreneur, you're an established brand, right? Lean into that and keep going. And we can definitely see that with you. And so um, at least from our perspective as creators, we know social media has really helped you grow your brand. Um, Now at this point, do you have a team or a designated social person to help, you know, with the community management um, and implement like the different, you know, strategies that you've done so far, um, how does that look um, out? If you, I'm assuming you've outsourced, if you, if you've outsourced the social media piece. I'm sort of, um, so I, I definitely have someone that's, you know, posting now and reading the DMS and all that. Like I'm not doing that anymore because, and then also I'm not reading comments anymore, which feels, it's all good. Um, but, and then I have a customer service girl that she's like, amazing she also is involved in that the unfortunate thing is that the personal aspect of it I really I really like that the way it comes off so I do want to keep that but I'm definitely struggling on like how to I I have to I think I have to get over how bad it's been to in order for me to figure out a way like right now we're just trying to keep it going and make sure it's fresh and looking good but I want it to be innovative as well and personal in the future. Mm-hmm. But I'm just not ready yet to, I'm still, I'm just still trying to get to a place. I think once our, once COVID lightens up and my factory gets back to full capacity, things are going to get a lot easier and I can start really implementing more plans. Um, but in, until then, I'm, we're sort of just trying to stay above water. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially with the explosive growth and it's hard too, because like as a brand who I'm sure, yeah, you want to have that personal aspect of it, but there gets to a point where when you're growing as a brand, like how do you still maintain that level of personability? And then also, but then at that point, it's very expensive to maintain that level of personability because if you are expanding your team and like having these people like have to be like one-on-one and, you know, chatting with people and customer service and everything like that, I just feel like there's so many logistics that you don't typically think about until you run a business. And I can't even imagine. And I've like, I've run an Etsy shop <laughs> that's as far yes. as that and like content creation, but like, it's, yeah, I mean, there's so much logistics when it comes to like outsourcing and things like that. And I mean, I think I, I think right. the biggest, yeah. And the biggest thing I think is just drawing boundaries can be so hard, especially when this is like your baby and you want to give you know, like all these things, these different aspects, but it's so, it's just not feasible for growth. It's, I can't even imagine. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it is, yeah, it's very expensive. Oh my God. Do you know the things that I want, want, I want really personalized customer service. I want more than we only have two people, you know, running that right now. And that as if I had a team, like, yes, then we could give like 
so much better of an experience, but you're right. Money is always going to cut you off at some place. And we're on year that we just um, celebrated our third birthday. And so this is, you know, three years in and there is a limit to how much you can put into your employees and how much you can put into the brand because you have to still make profit you or try to Mm -hmm. um so you have to be really careful about all of that and it sucks because it means that you can't run things exactly while you want to but you make goals you know five-year goals you know what what do I want well I really want my customer to have a really personalized experience I really want them to walk away happy every time and we work really hard to try and help that but um in this third year with the COVID, it has been harder than, than we anticipated. And it's really interesting, but really, it's also really fun. When you yeah. pull yourself out of the drama, the game is quite fun. It is exciting. And it's also just fashion in the end. Yeah. You know, I, I always have to remind myself, like, it's just a dress. She's going to be okay <laughs> if it doesn't ship to her off tomorrow. She's going to live. I mean, you're, you're absolutely like, right. Like yeah. Like when you're living in the moment, it's so hard to just, you know, when you're so surrounded by things, but being able to kind of take a step back and look at it from a bird's eye view almost and get that different perspective. I think we all need that every once in a while that kind of like, okay, we're taking a deep breath look back at it. Yeah. It's a dress. Like it's, it's going to be okay. In the end, everything will be okay. And as someone with anxiety, I know, like, I mean, for me, that is always really hard, but like, it's really (laughs) great when you do have those moments because it's just, it's very, I feel like needed on honestly, like a daily basis (laughs) if I could, but it's kind of hard to take those steps back. You probably could. You just have to be really conscious. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to be conscious or to interrupt your own, like, self-doubt movie you know like oh the future is dim and horrible like the the movie future of your life is always playing out on a reel and you like don't you kind of don't want to interrupt it you're like oh let it play let me see how bad it's gonna be um but you know if you can stop them the movie from running and be like no 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 there is no future (laughs) there's only this moment and in this moment I'm doing pretty damn good Like those are really important things to do, especially as a business owner, you have to like stop. Like I'm so constantly thinking about the big picture and the plan for everything um, that the company will and can be that I often forget to just sit and look at the success um, in the moment. Some people ask me what it's like. They asked me a lot at Wildbox, what is it like to be successful or to grow a successful business? How does it feel to be successful? And the one thing that I find really interesting about success or the Im- image of it is that people imagine that success is at the pinnacle. Like when you've reached this really great spot, like you guys may be looking in at Selkie, but, oh, she's doing so well. It's got a popular puff dress and girls love it. Um, but the The truth is that I don't feel as successful in this moment as I did in the moment where I had to make a decision of how to keep it running. That was success. Success is at the end of the rope, trying to figure out how you're going to get back up to the top and making the choice too. That's, that's the moment. 
incredible. I'm so inspired. I am. Yes, absolutely. I'm so inspired That's by so you. Powerful. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, Kim, this has been incredible. And we have, we have just learned so much from you. And so before we just like wrap up today's episode, we actually have three audience questions that we would like to kind of wrap the episode up. And so this can be rapid fire. If if we take a little bit longer, no worries, but is that all right? We ask you our three questions from our audience. Of course. Okay. So question one, how do you feel about the puff dress being a staple for for the content creator community? Was it a surprise to see how this came about? I feel incredibly excited and sometimes can't believe it um and it is not a surprise I felt the same way when I first saw it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. amazing um okay question two also from the audience how does Selkie maintain its unique point of view and aesthetic in an ever-changing season of the fashion scene um I think because I don't look at trend in fashion I look at trend in people and media. And that uh, helps me feel, I follow more of what my heart and what the news is sort of indicating. And that helps design something that's a little bit more unique, I guess. But uh, but to be honest, I don't feel, (laughs) I don't always feel it's fresh. Oh, what? Oh. But thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least you're hearing it from, uh, hopefully, I guess, like a quick bird's eye view, like from the creator community. I'm glad glad you guys think so. (laughs) Um, And then last question, um, how do you prepare for a launch? You've had many exciting collections drop, you know, since you've started the brand. And so would just be, I think our community is really interested in hearing like maybe one or two or three things that you do to prep for a launch. Oh my God. Our launches are really hard. We, um, we basically cram everything into a week. And that means uh, I do a shoot, edit all the photos, do all the graphic design. And then the girl, I just hired someone to run the website about a month ago. And so that's changed my life. She preps the website and, um, we chat on WeChat, which is a Chinese app. And we chat with each other on that all day long before a launch. And we try and proof everything together. And it's a lot of people implementing. It's about six people, including our Chinese employees and our girls here. There's like three of us here and two girls in China. And we sort of just put everything up. and and pray (laughs) you think it would be really organized but picture like you and your friends on Shopify like it really everyone's an expert in what they do but it still doesn't feel that way when you're preparing for a launch I guess it's it's really being in a business having a business it doesn't feel or look like a movie it feels like you're doing something with a bunch of your friends and you never really know what's going to happen. Does that make sense? Yes, really I love it. Weird no, way I love to put it. it. <laughs> um, and then this we is don't have an of... office. That's that's maybe oh. why. Oh gosh, that's maybe why. Maybe we work five or whenever your five year plan is. 
Um, no, I, I actually planned it this way. I don't, I don't like offices. So, oh, okay. That's really, yeah, everybody, but... everybody works remote. Um, okay. they come over to my house when every few, every week, but it's very casual. I love it. Um, and then this is, this wasn't my, one of my original questions, but Kim, how does it feel like you literally built a previous business, had it taken away from you, started over like got funding, ran out of cash, literally had to figure out what, like, how do you feel now? Like you excited? Are you like, because we're just so excited for you. I'm really curious to, to just like, like just hear where you're at. I think today for the first time in my life, I feel proud and it feels like giving the biggest finger of my life to <laughs> the person who made my life hell for so long it honestly feels so good there's nothing better than achieving your dreams and not giving up on yourself enough so that that you can look back at the people that doubted you oh it's so it's such a good feeling (laughs) to be like fuck you I did it (laughs) (laughs) I love that honestly like it's just so because I feel like so many people especially I mean I saw like the other day you kind of talking about content creators and influencers in the wild don't get me started on that Emma and I have talked about it like um, and just kind of talking about that and just being like these are creators these are women making money these are women like doing these things and like just the way that you empower people and like having that be a part of your brand and like being able to watch you grow. Like we've talked on the podcast too, about one of my major inspirations when I first started content creation and her name's, I don't know if you've seen Tezza Barton, um, but she was a big inspiration for me. And the other day I saw her in a selkie dress and I was just like, Oh my God, this is the coolest. Like I'm in the same dress as Tezza. Like she loves (laughs) selkie just as much as I do. And it was just like a really cool, like full moment. And so, yeah, give that middle finger. You absolutely deserve it. All like, women deserve it. We all yes. deserve it. We're giving a collective middle finger to the patriarchy that has held us back. It's yes. what it feels like. It feels I love it. Well, and it's so, it's so true. Cause like so many, I think it's so hard to like, know again, like it's like you're in the moment and you've experienced this your whole life. So it's kind of like hard to take that step back and like realize like all these things that have happened, all these like microaggressions and just kind of like hearing you chat about that and how you prepared to go into a meeting asking for funding. And you studied like about their body language. Like that was just such a cool perspective. And like, I think I like, it could speak for, for Emma and I, when I say like, it was just so incredible hearing your perspective and your story and hearing how you were able to build that because it's so easy to just want to kind of give up on your dream, especially when like these things have happened and like being able to make that work and push through and create this amazing, inclusive brand has been such a cool thing to watch and especially speaking to you and hearing about how that happened. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful that you feel that way about the brand. I'm so grateful that so many women do. Yes. Yes. And so before I wrap up today's episode, where can people find you and what, I mean, any, anything you want to share about Selkie and what's going on, take the time. Like we're, we're here to like amplify and like shout out what's going on with you and Selkie. So where can people find you? And if there's any upcoming launches that you want us to know about, let us know. Okay. I, you can find me my my personal instagram is we dream of ice cream and 
that's pretty much my oh I, that's my that's really my only social media um and the, the brand is at sulky and we're on facebook and instagram come and be positive with us on facebook please we've got to make past facebook a nice space to be <laughs> <laughs> um and uh we're on tiktok too sulky collection and love love into tiktok actually it's super fun um and the things that are coming up i'm so excited we're we're making bed sheets and duvet covers so those are coming in um next year probably around valentine's day that's hopefully the goal oh my god and, sorry i couldn't hold in my gas there i don't know if you've heard that i am can, so excited you can match your dresses to your beds for very cute photo shoots <laughs> I would scream <laughs> I will scream yeah I'm very excited for that um yeah that's that's the main thing I want to want to tell you about um and obviously we're trying to improve everything all the time we really are working on it you can always always assume that we are always trying to make things better and customer experience um always make trying to make that impeccable we're really working hard on that it's my number one goal customer experience is is my number one priority in business and obviously it's because of the brand's ethics to begin with amazing all right well thank you guys so much for listening to this week's interview we hope you enjoyed um, this interview with kim and we hope you loved hearing her story and how she created selkie and built her brand please rate review and recommend the podcast to your friends if you learned something new if you enjoyed an anecdote a lesson a story today share it on instagram stories tag Kim, tag Selkie, tag us on Emma's edition and at Mad Cray and the Content Creatives Podcast so we can reshare it and, and see what you learn. Join our Facebook group, sign up for our email newsletter on our website, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.